The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Well, good morning. Um, Before I read our text this morning, I want to read something. Uh, I want to read another text, actually, because I think they're good to be read back to back. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, having read that, Let's turn, believing that that is true, by the way, let's turn to our text this morning. Our text is in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 2. Now, I just want to read this to you, and I want you to uh, just sit there and, and, and take it all in. All right? We ready? Now, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions as I have delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who uh, prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of a man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man nor man of woman, For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is uh, her glory? For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. The tension. The tension in the room. I want to ask the million-dollar question. How are we to read, understand, and interpret that text. 
It is important that we as the church are not um, afraid to open this up. So if you're new with us at Stone Oak, we walk through books of the Bible together. I probably wouldn't have picked this one, just in all honesty, as your pastor. Um, But we walk through books of the Bible, and it's important that we do this because we are not afraid and we don't need to skip over things. But remember what I just read, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for us. And so as we approach this, how are we to read this? How are we to understand? How are we to apply this text? Now, right up front, I want to give you two ways that this text has been looked at. Uh, On the one side, we have a very strict, conservative, literal, traditionalist interpretation Uh, These people are going to read this text, and they're going to read this portion of God's Word, and they're going to seek to follow it to the letter, taking Paul at his word, every word, and and seeking to enforce the letter of the law. You're going to see men and women, you know, covering or not covering their heads because of it. And so they're going to apply this text literally, but as this text is applied literally, most often we miss miss this prominent and underlying spirit, this main and prominent thing that Paul is communicating. On the other hand, there are those who read this text and run the other way, who read this text and and just take it and they see it as being completely cultural. Like, Paul is dealing here with a specific situation in a specific cultural issue. Uh, this was a real issue that the church in Corinth was facing, not necessarily issues that we are facing today. And so you kind of, you wouldn't say this, but you would throw this part out as we don't need to apply that one, right? Um, Again, the problem with this group is similar to the first group, is that in throwing away this away, so often we miss the underlying and the prominent message. We miss Paul's intention. Church, I see a better way. I want to put before us that there is a better way to look at this text than that, um, in, a way that in a way that's faithful to Scripture. And so I want to, as we look at this, what I'd like to do is I know this text is a tough one. So uh, I want us, as we dig into verse two, as we start in, I just want to just come together as a church and let's pray for our time together. So would you pray with me? God, what a joy is it to be here in this place. It's the day you have made. We thank you for it and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. As we come to your word this morning, we do so in confidence, not in ourselves, but with a confidence that you will move, you will speak through your word just as you said that you would. And so this morning, we give you this time and we pray that you would speak. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray this and ask this in in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's look at verse 2. Let's dig into verse 2 together. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain traditions even as I delivered them to you. Let me give you a bit of a background uh, to this text. If If you remember, as we've journeyed through this letter, Paul is really intent here not to rob us of our freedoms. He's not coming and saying, church, give up all of your freedoms. 
That's not Paul's heart in this letter. Paul's heart in this letter is to encourage the church to use their freedoms in a way that promotes unity, in a way that, that promotes the, the glory of God, in a way that proclaims the gospel. And here Paul is concerned for unity. More specifically in our text, as we read this whole thing, Paul is, is concerned not just for unity in the way we are with each other, the way we act with each other, but Paul here is specifically concerned with orderly worship. The way that we proclaim the gospel with clarity when we come together as his church, orderly worship. So with that in mind, he says in verse three, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, this verse is absolutely pivotal in understanding this passage. In other words, I don't think that you can understand this passage without understanding this verse. Right up front, I want us to see something together. And that is that gender roles are rooted in Trinitarian order. Now, let me unpack that a little bit. Gender roles are rooted, specifically in worship, are rooted completely and fully in the Trinity, in God himself. So let me just state something very, very obvious here. Whatever Paul means when he says, the head of the wife is her husband, Whatever he means by that statement, whatever he means, it absolutely cannot be used to denigrate, to lessen, to downplay, to downgrade the woman's complete and equal stance with the man. Why? How can I say that? Because again, Paul roots this in the Trinity. He roots the relationship between man and woman, with the Father and the Son. Because in this comparison, Christ has a head. Paul says the head of Christ is God. The head of Christ is the Father. And hear me, Christ is not made less. Christ is not downplayed. Christ is not downgraded. Instead, Christ, for the joy that was set before him, submitted to the Father, not because they are less, because they are not but because of joy, because this was the intended and beautiful design and order that God had ordained from the beginning. So here, Paul compares the wife to Christ in this analogy. He compares them, the relationship between the man and the woman, he compares to the Trinity. And I want you to hear me, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are equal. Equal in their essence and willingly and perfectly in the Trinity, there is this perfect submission because of love and because of joy. This is the authority and the submission that is in view when he talks about the man and the woman. He drives this, this for us to consider the beautiful model of the Trinity. In other words, the example of God himself. So, uh, I am convinced... Guys and girls, I am absolutely convinced that if we grasp this, if we see this, if we are able to wrap our minds around this and to view our relationships through that lens, I am convinced that we would be able to see the true beauty of God's design and words like authority and submission would not be dirty. 
They wouldn't be dirty words, and in, we would instead be able to better live them out in our marriages in a way that showcases the beauty of God's design, in a way that showcases the beauty of God's design to a lost world who is looking in. Now, I know that words like authority and submission are dirty words, and uh, I understand why. Look around. Look at our news lately. How many stories? It's like story after story after story, um, specifically regarding men, of men in power, lacking accountability, who, who, who are completely abusing their power and take, taking advantage of those who are powerless, specifically women and children. We see this on repeat on our news feeds. It is sick, it is sad, it is evil, it is anti-scriptural, and this kind of abuse of power, it's disgusting, and it's caused us to cringe It's caused us to cringe, and rightfully so. We have this aversion to these words. I don't know if you know this. We did a study on um, our community here, North Central San Antonio, and and we found um, that there were a couple reasons why people who don't go to church say they don't go to church. And do you want to know what the prominent reason was? It was because of a distrust in church leadership and authority. In other words, they looked at the church and they say, I don't trust the authority and the leadership. I don't trust it. And again, we have to understand why. We have to understand why. But hear me, just because authority and submission have been abused, have been misused, have been misapplied does not mean we get to throw them out. The answer is not to do away with them. The answer is to bring them back into God's created design for them. Uh, think of it like this. Let's say you struggle with gluttony. I mean, your relationship with food is just not right. It's not healthy. And this is your battle, and you want to get this under control. You want to find a solution. Can I tell you what the solution to your problem is not? Doing away with food altogether. That's not the solution. Starvation is not the solution. I guarantee that is not a healthy solution, a healthy alternative to this problem. Here, the solution needs to be, the answer needs to be to bring back your your relationship, bring the relationship with food back into uh, the way God intended it to be, for your relationship with food to be healthy, to redeem that relationship, right? So here, starvation is not the answer. Redemption is the answer. Doing away with it is not the answer. Bringing it back into health and design, that's the, the answer. Too often in our struggle with authority and submission, We choose starvation. We say it's been abused. I don't like it. I don't need it. We choose starvation. And and what happens is it tends to cause a lot more damage. And, And here Paul is calling for redemption. To bring back authority and submission back into God's intended design. Again, modeled after God himself in the Trinity modeled after him. Now, Paul is going to bring us back and, and, and 
to consider this in the context of orderly worship. Look at verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Let's stop there. As you can see from this text, there is obviously a contextual gap. Uh, we are 2017, Stone Oak, North Central San Antonio, right? And, and we're looking at the ancient city of Corinth in the first century. There's obviously some contextual gaps. So let me walk through a couple of them as we encounter them. Here we see this reference to these men who are covering their head and it's dishonoring. Um, dishonoring their head as they pray and prophesy. Here Paul is directly um, referring to their attire, right? He's talking about what they're wearing as they come in to, to worship. But hear me, hats are not evil. Hats are not evil. That is not what is going on. Instead, Paul is dealing with an underlying issue. See, in the ancient city of Corinth, um, men were growing out their hair, covering their heads. This is what the pagan leaders of the idolatrous temples were doing. That's the way they dressed. That was their attire. And so here in this church, the men, in essence, were mimicking this pagan culture. And it was divisive. It was, it was absolutely divisive. It was harming the witness of the gospel in this community. It was, it was harming it. Um, and again, their hats, their hair, that was never the problem. That was never the issue. The issue was the heart. The problem was the heart. The problem was that an obstacle was being placed in their path to hear the, the gospel and the way of the gospel. And so here Paul is saying, don't dishonor God by adopting the dress of your idolatrous culture. Don't dishonor God by adopting the way they dress when they worship. As you come to worship, you represent the people of God. Don't adopt their ways and create a stumbling block for them. And the same is true for the ladies. See, in verse 5, we have, But every wife who prays and prophesies with her head uncovered dishonored, dishonors her head. Um, so contextually here, uh, this is important. <laughs> This is important. So in this culture, a woman with her head uncovered signified something. And it was like wearing a shirt that says, I'm available. This is what the, 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 the temple prostitutes did. It was a sign that says, I'm available to let your hair down. In this culture, that's what it meant. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with women who have uncovered heads. Most of you in this room, your heads are uncovered. There's nothing wrong with that. So ladies, don't worry. He's driving to something deeper. He's driving to something deeper. He's driving to the heart. Because, of course, these ladies were free to worship and pray. And in this text, pray and prophesy with their head covered or uncovered. It's not like God hears you any more or less based on your attire. That's not what was happening here. Instead, their freedom to let their hair down was causing an obstacle. It was scandalous. And so Paul calls them back to lay down that freedom so that you are honoring your husband and your God. Now, guys who are married, I don't know how much you would like it if your wife, even though she didn't mean this message, was wearing a shirt that says, hi, I'm available. Like, even if she didn't mean that, I wouldn't want that shirt to be on. And here, that's exactly the message that was coming across. It wasn't exactly honoring. Imagine um, 
new people coming into this ancient Christian church and seeing a bunch of hair or a bunch of women with their hair down. It was creating a scandal for the gospel. And so Paul was calling them back. Again, attire was not the true issue, it was the heart. Now, I want to address something before we move on that you might have missed. Uh, something that you could just speed past, but I promise you that if an ancient Corinthian were to read this, they would not have sped past this. Uh, Notice Paul says, but every wife who prays or prophesies, pause. What? Are you, I mean, wait, are you serious? I want to talk about the church's role in true gender equality. The Christian community in the ancient world, the, the church, would have been absolutely countercultural and scandalous in the way that it treated women. Completely. We see in this text that women are actively praying and prophesying in the church. We see in this text that women are having an active role, and we read this today, and we say, of course, women should have an active role. We look at stats today that that show us that there are more women in leadership in churches than men. This is our norm. This was not their norm. They would have read this, and this would have been scandalous for this culture at the time. For example, in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish circle at this time, women were not considered full members. More than that, in worship, women had to sit behind the veil. They weren't allowed to be in. They had to be behind. It would be like us lining our women on the other side of that curtain. This was the culture. This was the norm. This was the world that that Paul and these Corinthians were ministering in. And here Paul says, they're praying and prophesying? Do you realize how scandalous that is? Because in contrast, the Christian church made women full-fledged members in the body. Full-fledged image bearers of God. This was a scandal. Uh, There was no veil that they had to sit behind. This was unheard of. And here we see the beauty in this, that biblical Christianity recognizes and proclaims the full equality and interdependence of the sexes. I want to say something. Both men and women are made in the image of God. The Bible proclaims this, and I I love this. I can't resist. I'm going to skip ahead. Verse 11 and 12. Nevertheless, Verse 11 says, In the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, now man is born of woman. I love that argument. All things are from God. Paul paints this picture of the complete and perfect interdependence between man and woman. In a culture that viewed women as being less than, Paul says, No. Complete interdependence between men and women, reminding us, and this is a good reminder for us, that the church is diverse. Christians, regardless of age and stage and ethnicity, social class, gender, are all welcome to come together in Christ as full and equal participants. And because of this, I believe it's absolutely correct. You read this a lot, but I want to give you a quote here. Christianity has done more for women's rights than any other movement in history. And that is absolutely true when you look at history. 
And, and here in Corinth, this would have been absolutely just crazy for this, for this culture to be seeing this. And now Paul's going to dig deeper on this cultural issue on both sides. And I want to read to you, starting in verse 6. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Now listen to this. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Not only, church, are gender roles firmly rooted in the Trinity, as we just talked about, but we need to see this. Gender roles are rooted in the created order. Rooted in the created order. So both male and females, as we said, are created in the image of God. And I want to just say this. When God looks at man, when God looks at man, he sees his image, his unique image bearer. When God looks at woman, he sees his image. He sees his unique image bearer. Understanding that we see the, e the equality in their significance. There is an order. There is an order that, that God created and has ordained in order for human flourishing. And we see this in this text. When Paul gives these instructions, specifically verses 7 through 9, hear me, he's not giving anything new. He here is driving back as far as you can be driven back to into Genesis. In, in Genesis, we read that God creates man. He breathes life into him. He places them in this garden. And then Genesis 2.18 says, it is not good that that guy should be alone. That's my paraphrase. I will make him a helper fit for him. In other words, if you think about this, creation, it is good. Creation, it is good. Creation, it is good. Creation, it is good. Follow that. And then he creates man. He says, you know, it's not good that that, dude, that, that guy, don't take that too far, ladies, that that guy be alone. That's, that's not good. So they searched. The scripture says in, in chapter 2 of Genesis, they searched all creation. No helper was found suitable for him. That's what verse 20 says. In other words, man in the image of God needed a helper, and it couldn't just be any other thing in creation. An image bearer needs a special helper, a co-image bearer. And so in Genesis, so... God causes the man to fall into deep sleep. He, he takes a rib from the man, he, and he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now here in our text, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is driving us back to look at Genesis, and he's reminding us of God's perfect and created order. This is what Paul references here in verses 8 and 9. He says, for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. This is Genesis 2, when woman was created by God from man. He's restating Genesis. 
Then he says in verse 9, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Like I said, it wasn't that he created woman and said, not good, she needs a helper. No, in the created order, he created man, not good, needs a helper. Woman was created for man. Paul here is driving us back to consider Genesis 2 in the creation of man and woman. And he's basing his argument on this. There is this order. Now, we as modern readers can read this and, and, and it seems kind of controversial, but here you got to understand, Paul is not saying anything new. He's recounting for us Genesis in this, in this statement. And he's saying nothing having to do with the value of man over woman or woman over man. He's driving us back to God's creative act in Genesis. There's this complete equality in value and significance. And at the same time, because of God's created design, there is this diversity in our roles. And this is not only set forth for us in the Trinity, in the relationship between Jesus and the Father, as Paul just set before us, but it's set out for us in the way that God created us in Genesis. We look at this and we see our order here. And we see this order that we were designed to live into in order for that God is pleased and in order that, that we flourish. I wanted to give you this quote. Um, I think it's so important. Gender distinctions are not a curse to be covered, but a blessing to be celebrated. I love that. And in light of that, Paul, what he's really saying, in, in everything that you do, whether you're a male or a woman or a female, whatever you do, this is huge. Live your life in a way that honors the one to whom you are submitting. Live your life in a way that honors the one to whom you are submitting. Now, again, context. This seems odd to modern readers. It seems odd to us as we read this, and it causes, as I read that earlier this this morning, the hairs on the back of some of our necks started coming up, and I get that. It, it, but as we do the work of context here, we see what's going on here. A woman with her head uncovered signified something. It said, hi, I'm available. And this was exactly what temple prostitutes did. So in light of that, Paul is saying, I know you are free to wear whatever you want, meaning your salvation is not tied to your hairstyle. I get that. I get that, but Paul is saying in whatever you do, in every freedom, in the way you live your life, whether you're male or female, don't be an obstacle to the gospel. Don't be an obstacle to the gospel and understand that you are either bringing honor or dishonor to the one to whom you submit. And Paul reminds them, live your life in a way that honors the one to whom you are submitting. And by the way, this text can often be viewed as heavy-handed toward women. During my, my prep, my study for this, um, I, kinda, I printed out this text and I highlighted all the stuff that Paul deals with the guys and then I highlighted all the stuff that Paul deals with the girls. And when I did that, I, I realized something. It's pretty equal. 
In other words, for every command for the guys, there's a counter command for the ladies, and it's just this order that he's presenting here to the church. And, and that's because Paul is concerned about bringing glory to God through their gatherings, both men and women. So, men, since you are the image of God, don't take on the dress or the customs of your culture in a way that would dishonor the God that you are submitting to. Don't dishonor God whose image you bear. And women, likewise, since you are created in the image of God, don't take on and adopt the customs of the world around you in a way that would cause the world around you to question not only your walk with the Lord, but your marital status. Don't do that. Let us exercise our freedoms in a way that will honor each other and honor our God, not dishonor each other and dishonor our God. Again, for both men and women here today, we get this incredible joy and privilege to live our lives in a way that honors the one to whom we are submitting. Now, I wanted to share something with you. I think we need to be honest. There's this rumor out there floating around that, that your pastor needs to know all things. There's this rumor floating around that your pastor needs to know what every scripture means in its entirety and have an opinion that is definitive on every... And then you come to verses like verse 10 that will just blow that out of the water. Just bu- listen to this. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, church, I could speculate. I could throw out some theories. Trust me, there are many. In fact, I have a commentary that lays out 13. 13 theories as to what Paul is is talking about here. Specifically dealing with, because of the angels? What? Right? I I have some theories. However... I would instead like to read you a quote from one of the foremost commentators uh, on this passage, okay? Um, You ready for this? This is good. This is good. There is scarcely any passage in the scriptures which has more exercised the ingenuity of commentators than this verse. (laughs) That is awesome. He goes on to say this, after all the explanations which have been given of it, I confess I do not understand it. Now, if, does that not just make you feel better about yourself right there? Does that not just make you feel better about yourself? This is the uh, foremost Greek New Testament scholar here, right, who, who, and I love his honesty, and I think this is the kind of intellectual honesty we need to approach the scriptures with. I think we have to. Uh, let me say this, though. Although this specific phrase in this passage is unclear, let it not take away from the clear message of this passage as a whole. In other words, let this passage speak for itself and and let's not get taken away with what we don't know, the mystery of this passage. Um, Because here's what we're able to see here, clearly, that gender roles, Paul roots them in the Trinity and to God himself. Gender roles are then also rooted into God's created order in the way that he created us. And because of this, we understand that living according to God's design will both honor God and best promote human flourishing. 
both honor God and thus promote human flourishing. Now, in light of that, in light of this, Paul asks some questions. Verse 13, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Uh, Verse 14, does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Now, these questions are rhetorical, meaning when he asks them, Paul has an intended answer in his mind. He has uh, an answer that he is expecting. Um, So women... Are you free to pray with your head covered or uncovered? Absolutely, you have the right. But verse 13 says, judge for yourself. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Paul's implied answer here is no. No, no, it is not. Men, are you free to grow out your hair? Yes, in fact, in other biblical texts, the text calls men to to grow out their hair. Right? So obviously there's something going on here. You have the right, but Paul then asks the question, does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace for him? So answer, yes, there's the implied answer. It is not about your freedom. It is not about your right. It is about honoring God and representing the gospel well to the world that is watching you. It is about honoring each other and not creating any obstacles for the gospel. And that leads us to this beautiful last verse. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. In other words, church, if your actions, your freedoms are causing division or strife, be willing to put them aside. Be willing to put them aside for the good of the church, for the good of each other, for the good of unity. There's this clear call here again to live our lives out in a way that honors the one to whom we're submitting. And so I want to just ask, what does your life say about the one to whom you're submitting? You might not be offending people with your head covering this morning. Uh, Guys, you might not be offending people with your long, flowing hair. I don't see any guys with long hair in here, so I think we're good. That might not be you. But what does the way you are living your life say about you? More specifically, what does it say when we come together and gather like this in worship? Are we putting any obstacles for our community to hear the gospel? Are we dishonoring each other? Uh, Listen, I want you to think about this. As we consider this whole text this morning, um, this whole thing, we don't get the impression that the men and women in this text in, in Corinth, were malicious. And what I mean by that is, is we don't get, let's take the women for example, we don't get that from this text that the impression that Paul is rebuking them for being unfaithful. We don't even get this impression that they're being flirtatious. Like we don't get that from this text. That's not the heart of these women. In fact, these women are praying and prophesying, right? We, we get a very different picture of these, of these women. The reality is, is that what was happening here was that the, the actions of these men and women, in this case specifically what they were wearing, um, had an appearance of evil. 
It had an appearance of evil that was causing dishonor to come to their God. It was causing dishonor to come to their spouses, to each other, and to the gospel. That was the issue here, church. That was the issue here. And now uh, Paul, it, it brings this to their, intention, their attention. And the thing that we don't get to see, and I wish we did, we don't get to see how the church in Corinth responded to this letter. We don't get to see uh, their reaction. We don't know if they got this and been like, wow, our freedoms have got out of hand. We need to pull it back so we're not... We don't get this, this picture of how they responded and if they changed their attitude here. We don't get it. We don't know. But today, as you hear Paul's message, as, as you are called to consider your life, to consider the things that might have a negative appearance as you're called to consider this, especially as we come together in the church, what will your response be? Um, will you just say, nah, I'm good. I don't need to examine my life. I'm not doing anything wrong. If anyone is offended, they need to get over it. You could say that. I mean, the men and women of Corinth could have probably said that. There's nothing wrong with my hair. That guy needs to get over it, right? We could say this, or will it cause us to examine our lives, to see if there is anything that might have an appearance of evil. Anything that, that might be there so that we could lay it down for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of each other in unity. Are we an offense to a brother or a sister? Is there anything we're doing, whether it's malicious or not, that is an offense to a brother or sister or an obstacle to the gospel? That is what Paul is dealing with here. And if so, let us be a church that's willing to lay it down in order that we may honor the one to whom we are submitting. Let me pray for us. God, this morning, I want to pray specifically that you would help us through your spirit to apply your word. Would you forgive us as we push away from and as we push against your plan and your design? And would you help us to live our lives loving you and loving people, representing and honoring you well in all that we do. Lord, we know that we need you. And we ask that you would help us. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.